Welcome to Defending Digital. I'm Chad Warner. I'm pleased to have with me Carrie Parker, author of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, a step-by-step -step guide to computer security for non-techies. I recently read the book and it jumped straight to the top of my list. It expertly addresses a range of security and privacy topics. It contains clear, simple term, terms and helpful analogies. Carrie, today I'd like to learn more about the advice that you give in Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. But first, let's go back in time. What piqued your interest in cybersecurity and privacy in the first place? I know some of the story from the, reading your book, but I'm sure our listeners would like to hear the whole story. Yeah, yeah. And uh, first off, you know, Chad, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm a software engineer. I've been doing coding for 26 plus years or something now. And, you know, as a software engineer, I think I've always been kind of interested in crypto and, uh, and cybersecurity kind of from a technical aspect. But you know, for me, what really you know, kind of lit the fire under me and got me going was the Edward Snowden revelations uh, mm -hmm. back in 2013, the summer of 2013. And, you know, I'm not really a black helicopter kind of guy or a tinfoil hat kind of guy, but yeah, I was shocked. I mean, you know, I assumed that that our intelligence agencies were were doing some things and I, you know, better, you know, maybe I preferred not to know and put my head in the sand. But man, you know, when those things came out, I was, it was really flooring for me and it was really a wake up call. And I just kind of felt like I, I needed to do something and I, I and so I kind of thought about it and I, you know it's like I've always wanted to write a book and uh, so I went looking and I thought, you know surely there's like a cybersecurity for dummies or something out there and and I and there really wasn't or I think there was but it was just really old like 10 years old and, and I was like okay that's not gonna work and mm -hmm. so yeah that's kind of where it all came together for me and, I, and and ever you know since then it's just gotten worse I, I've been I've always been kind of political and kind of tuned into the news anyway but you know after after Snowden and you know, and then came Cambridge Analytica and Equifax and all these really major things going on. And, um, you know, I just kind of felt like a lot of people, you know, cause I'm the, you know, being the engineer, I'm the IT guy for my family. It's a pretty, it's a pretty big family. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they're constantly asking me things like, you know, you know, Carrie, do I have a virus to, you know, what, you know, what mm -hmm. should I be using a VPN? You know, what's the safest this or safest that? And, and then, so I thought, you know what, why don't we just put this all down in a book? Mm -hmm. Uh, and that'll be kind of be my contribution that, and so, that's where I got started and that's kind of why I did what I did. Yeah. Gotcha. So looking at the kind of the, the current state of personal or consumer cybersecurity, what would you say are the, the biggest threats that are out there? The biggest challenges that people are facing? Well, great question. And um, it's, there are a lot, uh, there's a lot going on. And, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, if I, you know, God, if I had to pick like maybe like a top three or something, I, you know, phishing attacks, I think probably is a big one. There's, you know, that that's very common. It's very easy to get tripped up. Of course, that's P H I S I, you know, P H I S H I N G, uh, where the bad guys are sending you usually emails, trying to get you to click on a link you shouldn't, or go to a website you shouldn't, or go to a fake site and maybe get the, you know, get you to cough up some information, either a credit card or credentials or something you know, that can lead to more nefarious things down the road. And they're, they're getting clever. I mean, you know, there's the classic Nigerian prince, right, <laughs> that we all know about. But, you know, some of these, like, you'll get these really dire emails that, you know, from PayPal or Amazon or Apple saying your, your account's been suspended. You know, if you don't act on this soon, something really even worse is going to happen. Click here to correct the problem. Uh, and they look really real. Um, and often taking websites that look really real. And, you know, I've gotten, I, I admit, I, there's some of those I've had to look at really carefully. Um, so, you know, so fishing, you know, fishing is definitely a problem. And there's a lot of, a lot of the way people get infected today is through fishing. So, um, I'd say another one today, especially like in recent years has been ransomware. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think what really kind of, you know, ransomware of course is, you know, you get infected by something and that something encrypts or locks up or scrambles, uh, all of your files on your computer mm -hmm. in such a way that they could descramble them, but they've got the key. Um, I, the analogy on I, I love my analogies though. <laughs> no. yeah. uh, the analogy I always use is like, you know, the, the thieves broke into your house. They took all your valuables and then they put them in a safe in your living room and left a note. <laughs> you know, you still have all your stuff. You, you just can't get to it. So, so, um, and you know, and I think what really kind of allowed ransomware to take off was Bitcoin and cryptocurrency because now these guys have a way to get paid. That's pretty anonymous. It's not a hundred percent anonymous, but um, it makes it really easy to, you know, extort money from people and not have it be traceable. Mm -hmm. So I think that those kind of go hand in hand. And, and you've seen a lot of this in the news lately that um, a lot of school districts and they're kind of going where I think they used to, you know, started off targeting individual people and maybe you didn't hear about it as much. Now they're targeting small and medium businesses or little municipalities. 
and, and folks that, you know, like if you go to a school and like this happened this summer or right before school started, a bunch of school districts in te- Texas got hit with ransomware. I mean, the school, di- school starting, I mean, you, you, you've got to have that data and you've got to have your computers back. They were you know, really over a barrel. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, ransomware, I think is uh, a scourge that, we've, that we're dealing with a lot lately. And of course, identity theft, that's been around forever, but you know, it's got to rank up there because it's even, a, it may not be, it may not happen as often, but it, you know, the consequences are dire. I mean, when, you know, if you get, or if you're a real victim of identity theft, that can follow you around for years and it's going to be really hard to dig out of. So yeah, there's a lot of things out there. Um, but you know, if I had to pick maybe a top three, I think that's probably what I'd go with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in your book, you talk about not only cybersecurity, but kind of digital privacy as well. And you know, something like identity theft, you know, kind of, uh, goes in both of those areas. It's, it's security related, it's privacy related. Um, anything else you'd add to the list, uh, in terms of threats, uh, specifically in the area of privacy? Yes. Uh, and, and, and as I've learned, you know, over the years, to me, I kind of equated the two, you know, when I was first starting out in this, to me, it was like cybersecurity and privacy were all, you know, maybe two sides of the same coin, but, you know, very related. And as, as the years have gone by and I've done more and more, you know, education and, and, and learning and teaching and all that kind of stuff, I've really kind of realized that they're two separate beasts, security and privacy while related. And I think, you know, security is necessary for privacy. Uh, they're not the same thing. And, and the, the threats to our privacy today are, are myriad and legion, as I like mm-hmm. to say. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of things going on. And it's coming from really from two big angles. It's not even just uh, one thing. It's um, in the corp- for the corporate world. I mean, our data is being bought and sold and collected in unbelievable quantities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's really not a lot of sunlight on that right now and, with, and a lot of transparency what's really going on there until someone gets caught. But I mean, there's so much more, just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, what's going on out there is just crazy. It's a total wild, wild west, especially in the United States where we just have really have not come up with any federal regulations around this. Now in Europe, uh, if you remember last May and you got all those, all those notices in your mailbox about updated privacy policies all at once, Mm -hmm. that was no coincidence. That's because last May, uh, Europe, the EU uh, enacted some really good privacy regulations. I mean, you know, nothing's perfect, um, but the GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, went into effect last May and caused a lot of companies to have to, you know, rejigger what they're doing. And in some senses, it's helped all of us because, you know, a lot of companies, if I'm going to bother doing this once, I'll just do it for everybody, which in that case, it helps us. Kind of like California, like with car emissions, like, you know, they led the they led the nation with that. And Ford's not going to make one car for California and one <laughs> car for the rest of the country, right? So, yeah. Uh, you know, so in some cases, even though it's not a local regulation, I think that's actually helped us a little bit there too. So, but I mean, so all these devices that were, you know, the internet of things, which is, you know, hooking everything up to the internet, which didn't used to be hooked up to the internet, toasters, (laughs) appliances, you know, smart TVs, you can't, you can't buy a dumb TV anymore, you know, light bulbs. uh, And I'm not kidding about toasters, by the way, there actually, (laughs) actually was a smart toaster. Um, it, and, and the problem is that because all these electronic products are, you know, so thin margin, you know, the last thing these guys want to do is put security on these things and, and they're computers. These things are computers. And if they're hooked up to the internet, they're just easy prey for hackers. And, and so you know, a lot of trouble has been th- with all the, the, the boom of, uh, of IOT and with that, um, and smart TVs has, uh, has come the privacy a- aspect of that, where they're tattling on you constantly. Um, I've seen some recent studies lately that just are jaw dropping where these uh, three studies recently came out where they looked at TVs kind of specifically and IOT devices in general and pay, you know, put them on the network and put some sniffers on the network and kind of put some honey pots out there to kind of trigger them and whatever, and kind of looked what they were doing. And they're telling on you all the time. I mean, smart TVs are literally watching what you're watching. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. if you've ever heard of the Shazam app for music, you know, while you kind of, you say, what song is that playing in the background right now? Well, we'll whip out Shazam and it'll listen for 10 seconds and it'll figure out what song it is and tell you who it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mac the Knife by Bobby Darren. Um, TVs are now doing that too. Uh, they're actually sampling the videos that are on your screen to figure out what you're watching. Uh, not not just shows, but what commercials you're watching. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on. It's 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 just jaw dropping. So, for the, the, but that's just the corporate side. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just what Google and Facebook and and, and, and all these other companies are doing. And then there's the government side, which of course is where the Snowden stuff came into effect. And I really was hoping that when the Snowden revelations came out, that, that you know, that would be a wake up call and we'd see some real changes. But 
honestly, there just really haven't been that many. I don't know if most people think that it still doesn't apply to them, or maybe they're just thinking I have nothing to hide, so it doesn't matter. Or maybe they think that they need to give up that privacy in order to have security, which I think is a false choice. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, I mean, that's dangerous. And and so a a couple things, if you'll just (laughs) let me ramble a little bit. So there was this guy named Jeremy Bentham back in the 1700s who created this idea of a a prison system basically called a panopticon. Mm And what it was, was this like cylindrical jail. Um, and the idea being that all the, all on the outside ring were all the jail cells uh, that faced inward, uh, such that there was a tower in the middle uh, where the guards could watch them. And it was set up such that the guards could watch them without them knowing particularly that they were being watched. So basically all the inmates had to assume at any given moment that they could be watched. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's where we are now. I mean, at this point, you, I mean, if you really are paying attention, you've got to realize that at any given moment, you could be monitored in six ways to Sunday. Uh, and because, you know, of where we are today, you could save this information on every person forever. Hmm. And, you know, so it's one thing to say someone caught you doing something bad. That's another thing to say, I can look over 10 years and see what Carrie's been up to. I'll find something. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then, you know, facial recognition, that's blowing up now too. We've got cameras everywhere, but now we've got computers that are actually trying to remember who they saw and maybe specifically who they are. Cause that, you know, like um, the government in particular is using, you know, they're just going to the passport databases or the DMV databases. And, you know, we didn't originally give up our pictures for that purpose, but they're just sitting there mm-hmm. and, you know, they've got my face and my name and my address and they say, Hey, let me have that data. And now I can track where Carrie goes. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, you're listing, you know, so the the IoT devices, and um, I should start a list of of just the um, ludicrous items that that are being produced. Um, diapers. There are IoT <laughs> diapers. I don't know sure. what what the market purpose is for that, but this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in your book, you, you have these six priorities that you, that you get to at the end of the book, um, which you describe as kind of the first things that people should focus on. You don't want to overwhelm people. Mm. So kind of give them just some priorities to, to look at. Um, so those are one, back up your files. Two, keep your computer and phone software updated. Three, use strong, unique passwords for important sites. Mm. Four, turn on two-factor authentication when possible. Five, browse the web safely using a good browser with security plugins. And six, don't open attachments or links that you're not expecting. How did you arrive at those six items? Yeah, so, I, I, not, you know, in retrospect, I almost wish I'd put those at the beginning of the book a little bit as a little bit of a teaser. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, cause, you know, because I, as you know, from reading the book, there's like 150 different tips <laughs> in, that, in yeah. that book. There's a lot of things to do. And so I think at the end, because I've been teaching a class around this book too, and I, I, I can see that people get overwhelmed. And, and so I was like, okay, let's, let's distill this down. Let's, let's pick the, the top five or six things. And, and for me, these were the ones that were like the most bang for the buck. And mm-hmm. honestly, it's like infinite bang for the buck because most of these are zero cost. Um, sure. The only one of these, like number one is the only one that really could cost you money. And that's going to, you know, probably have to buy an external hard drive or pay for a, a monthly cloud backup service. But uh, all the rest are free. Um, and they're really powerful. It's like, if it, in my mind, I, I wanted to go back and look through the list and think, okay, I mean, if someone says, Carrie, I, I understand what you're saying. These are all great, but I, I'm just overwhelmed. I can't do all these things. Just, just lay it out for me. What are the things I really just have to do? And so that's where I, you know, I went back to the list. And that's kind of what I came up with. And so I'll, and I'll walk through them a little bit. Um, you know, back up your file. So that, that's an easy one. So it's like a do-over, right? It's a mulligan. If, if for some reason something happens, if you get infected with malware, if your computer dies, you drop your phone in the toilet, um, you know, whatever the case may be, you've got to have, you got to have a backup. If you don't have, you know, any way to replace those, you know, priceless family photos or, you know, tax documents or whatever the case may be, these irreplaceable documents, you know, the only, the only way you can get around that is have a backup. And, uh, you know, so that kind of gives you a do-over. So if something bad really does happen, at least you can replace those files. So you know, that's kind of like a baseline for me. And then after that, you know, keeping your stuff up to date, there's, you know, software has bugs. There's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a software engineer. I can write the best software on the planet. There's always going to be bugs. Um, so because there's, you know, it's because you just have to assume there's going to be bugs, there's going to be fixes. And uh, the best way to, uh, to stay ahead of that is to, is to have all your software updating. And most software... Well, not, maybe not most. A lot of software today has got, um, the, and all operating systems have a built-in mechanism for auto-updating. And so it'll kind of do it for you if you tell it to. And so, you know, it's really important you stay up to date. 
um, passwords, man. Uh, so, you know, I talk about this in the book and, you know, a lot of people are all excited about biometrics. You know, I want to do a fingerprint or I want a face scan because I can't lose that. I can't forget that. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but when you really look at it, I mean, those are kind of good as secondary things or maybe just for your phone because you have to have physical possession of it. But you really need strong, unique password. That's still today, unfortunately, probably the best method for guarding everything. And because there's so many breaches um, where these password databases are stolen, uh, you know, if, they, if, you, if you use this password on one site and then they crack that, the, the bad guys are already automating the process. I mean, mm-hmm. once they get these lists of passwords that people use, they turn right around and try other websites to see if they work somewhere else. So if, you know, maybe you use this weak password on your mail account because you weren't too worried about it, but you also use that password on your bank account, you know, yeah, if, credential if they stuff. compromise one, they're going to compromise, you know, they could very easily compromise the other. It's called mm-hmm. credential stuffing. I mean, it's got a term. I mean, it's, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the only way around that is to have long, strong passwords. Of course, the only way for a human to do that is to use a tool, which is like a password manager. So that's kind of, that leads into that one. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing though, too, is, is two-factor authentication, which is really starting to catch on. And, you know, that it's defense in depth. It's, you know, so someone does get your password or someone you know, they figure out a way on the system to get around the password authentication mechanism uh, or something like that. Well, then if, if you have a second factor, you have something else they have to do. It's two things they have to get through to get to your account. Now, not only do they have to get through that part, but they have to have your smartphone and they've got, you know, they got to have physical access to your phone and they've got to be able to open it. So it's got to, they've got to be able to get through the pin code or the fingerprint or whatever to get the two-factor ID. So it's, you know, it's, I've heard somewhere that, you know, two factor alone um, would st- you know, uh, would stop like 99% of the credential pro- um, attacks mm-hmm. uh, because it's just having that extra step is just crucial. So use that definitely where you can, you know, of course, and then the privacy thing, surfing the web, um, uh, you definitely want to have a, a good privacy respecting browser with some privacy protecting plugins. Uh, security, uh, most, most browsers I think are doing a really good job with security. Uh, it's privacy before they really differ. Um, and that's one of the reasons I usually recommend that people don't use Chrome because mm-hmm. Chrome is made by Google and yeah. Google's business model. They're, they're an ad company that 90% of their revenue is from advertising. So they're an ad company that just happens to make a web browser and a search engine. Um, so, you know, they're monetizing you, let's face it. And so while they've done some great security stuff uh, from a privacy perspective, I just, I just can't, I just can't go. I can't recommend Google. And then obviously we talked about, you know, you know, not, you know, phishing attacks and uh, emails that try to get you to click on links and get you infected. So, you know, if you don't, it, basic rule of thumb, if you didn't ask for it, if, if, if this email comes to you with an attachment that you didn't explicitly ask for or sends you a link to something, um, don't trust it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, um, somewhere I, I read, you know, you can't win a contest that you didn't enter. <laughs> you know, people get these messages, hey, you just won this thing. Oh, right. oh, really? When did you enter that? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> now, how did you win it if you never right. entered it? Yeah, that'd yeah, be true. a good point. Yeah. Um, so I want to get your perspective as a parent. Mm. Um, so we've talked about a lot of these issues. Um, I mean, there's a lot of overlap between issues um, that would affect kids uh, the same as adults, and a lot of the security and privacy principles are going to be the same. Um, but are there any particular challenges or threats that your kids have faced or that you've seen other kids face related to security and privacy? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, so for the main thing with kids is they just, they don't have the life experience. They don't have the frame of reference for how dangerous these things could be. And, you know, and there's always the classic, you know, thing like, you know, before you're turned into adult, you feel invincible and nothing can happen to you. And, you know, there's some of that, but I think a lot of it's just maturity. I mean, and I don't mean like emotional maturity. I just mean life maturity. I mean, Mm -hmm. just not, understanding and of course these our kids today grow up with this stuff i mean they, you know any kid born in the last you know 15 years has grown up digital grown up with the internet and it's just it's just a thing it's just what what you do um so yeah so i think that social media which is something you know relatively new in a human lifespan or human uh, evolution has really opened up a lot of um social pressure and cyberbullying opportunities uh, you know, that we, you know, I, as a kid never had to worry about, um, mm-hmm. you know, so there's those kind of things that are kind of maybe unique, uh, to, to kids. Uh, and then, you know, I think, I think a lot of kids don't understand the value of privacy yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they don't, and you know, 
you got to realize that, you know, you, you can't always trust somebody on the internet. If you have never really seen them in person, you know, are they really who they say they are? They may sound like it. Um, there's bad people out there. So yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think you're right in that, you know, of course there's cybersecurity and privacy issues uh, run the gamut. As far as age, uh, we all have certain things we have to be aware of, but for kids in particular, I think those are some of the, some of the areas where they might be different than other age groups. Yeah. Yeah. So then having kind of those threats in mind, um, are there particular um, things that you think parents should be doing to help protect their kids um, or even things that the kids should be doing to protect themselves other than, you know, some of the, the basics that we've already covered? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, so a couple of things from, from a parent's perspective, I mean, actually first, I mean, before I even go there, I just, I, I, I don't want, one of the things I've always said, and I said in the book, and I said, anybody who asks is the internet's not a bad thing. It's just a tool. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be good or bad, right? So it's actually an amazing informational thing. Uh, and it has opened just you know, that the, the technology, even the IOT stuff has, is doing some cool stuff. And so I don't, it's kind of like the ocean or any other, you know, thing where you kind of respect it, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, as long as you respect it and treat it right and don't do anything dumb, it's a great thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, my, my two kids, they're, they're getting older now. The one's uh, 17, one's 19. Uh, but as they were growing up, you know, for me, it was, you know, just be careful, be smart. Um, some of the, you know, the rules that I usually say is, you know, the internet's forever. I mean, I don't care what your app says, you know, these pictures will automatically self-destruct and <laughs> no one else can ever look at them. It, no, that's, that is not, that is not true. If anything that goes onto the internet, anything digital, you assume will last forever and could be seen by anybody, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of leads to my grandma rule. I like to call my grandma rule. Right. And, and that is, you know, don't do anything on the internet that you wouldn't happily show your grandparents, your grandmother in particular. I don't know what it is about grandmothers. And maybe it's just me, but like, you know, for me, my grandma, you know, my parents knew me, right? So, you know, you hide some things from your parents, but you know, your grandma or whatever, they, they hold you in that high, high esteem where they, you know, they don't see you every day and you, you know, and so they, you know, you kind of think of them as they're seeing the ideal you. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so for me, it was always like, if, you know, if this passed the grandma test, then you're probably doing all right. Um, <laughs> Is you know for parents you know stay involved obviously you know you know keep track of what they're doing without being pushy or without being overly protective um, you know some of the basic rules like I have with my kids is make sure if there's a computer where they're doing homework on or an internet you make sure it's in a public place you know they they don't get to take that into their rooms when they're young same thing with smartphones when they start getting those I you know my rule was you put it on the charger downstairs before you go up to bed you know so in the morning it's guaranteed to be charged but it's also I mean, what a temptation that thing is. If I had that thing, I'd be, I'd be sitting on it all night and doing video <laughs> chats with my friends or whatever, you know? And so I just took the temptation away. Mm-hmm. Um, things like, you know, don't, don't, I wouldn't allow my kids to talk with anybody online that I had not personally met in person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because there's a lot of predators out there and they mm-hmm. pretend to be all sorts of things and it's really, you know, they're good at it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, parental controls, a lot of modern operating systems have uh, built-in parental controls. Those are good too. Um, you know, there's, uh, things like open DNS and things you could use to kind of prevent your kids from getting to the wrong sites on the web until they're old enough to understand what those things are. Those are the, I guess those are the kind of things I throw out there are very kind of kid specific. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, people helping their kids. Now let's kind of go to the other end of the age spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so how about individuals helping elderly relatives, friends, parents, grandparents, um, any advice on, on how to help the, the uh, older loved ones in, in a person's life? Yeah. Uh, and that's, a, <laughs> that's so different. I mean, because not just because of the age difference, just generationally and where they, because they didn't grow up with computers and you know, they, they didn't have the internet when they were kids and so they can live without it. Right. And so honestly, a lot of, uh, I actually teach some, some seniors in a, in a continuing education course. So I see this a lot. A lot of them are just afraid to use the internet. They don't do anything on it. They won't do banking on it. They won't do anything even remotely uh, that they consider dangerous. And ironically, there's actually, because of cybersecurity and, and modern encryption, there's a lot of things you can do on the line that frankly is safer than what we used to do. I mean, think about it when you go to the restaurant and you, you, know, you used to give them your credit card and they would disappear with it in the back room yeah. and come back out with your check. I mean, 10 people could have written down your credit card number. No, we never really thought about that because we're just kind of used to it. But you know, if you do transactions online uh, today, they're extremely secure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in some ways it's easier because, it, uh, because the generation didn't grow up with the internet, they don't depend on it like we do. I mean, I, mm-hmm. man, if you took my smartphone away from me, I'd, I'd be Jones and I'd be going through DTs, you know? <laughs> so, but you know, for them, they can get by a lot of times with just a, a smartphone or a tablet, like an iPad or something. And those, 
because they're kind of newer and because they're more locked down, they tend to be kind of more secure by design. They're not always private by design, uh, particularly maybe Android products, but um, they're a lot more secure by design. There's just a lot, there's a lot fewer ways for you to shoot yourself in a foot. So, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of them, I say, you know, if, if you just want to like check email and play some words with friends or, uh, you know, maybe do some Facebook in and, you know, buy some stuff on the web, you, know, you can get by with a tablet. And a lot of those tablets are a lot harder to infect and, um, you know, with viruses and whatnot. And uh, so in that case, in, it, it can be similar. Um, let's see, for what else? Um, I guess one thing I guess I could say, and really this is true of any adult, but, um, you know, as you get older, you might want to think about your digital afterlife. Uh, you might want to think about uh, like a password manager. Another advantage to having a password manager is you could leave your master password in your safe deposit box or with your, you know, in your will with your lawyer so that when that time does come, it's, it comes for all of us, uh, your, the people that need to clean up all your stuff and deal with all your estate after the fact can get all your accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly with, you know, photos and, and documents and things, either if they're physical, you can get those scanned and make sure those get passed on. Um, uh, you know, so maybe that might be something that might be a little more important as you, as you get older. Um, but really any adult should be thinking about those things too. Yeah. That, yeah, that whole, um, kind of digital legacy, digital afterlife, whatever you want to call it. Um, that is definitely something that is, is overlooked. Um, I remember, you know, when I was first putting my will together and, uh, and talking to my lawyer about it, he said almost none of his clients, you know, did they even have anything in their wills about Mm -hmm. any digital accounts, assets, anything, people just never even brought it up. Um, and just in, in my own conversations with people too, that's just something that they don't think about. Um, and obviously, you know, it's too late, (laughs) you know, once, once person has, uh, has passed away. So, um, yeah, I've, I've been kind of doing some more sharing a post about that and to do some more, um, actually creating content, um, to just kind of raise that awareness and give people advice because, um, I mean that, that can just cause a lot of headache for people, um, uh, you know, who, who then are having to deal with it, uh, after the fact. So, yeah. Um, so you talked a couple of times uh, so far about kind of the apathy that there is about cybersecurity, uh, privacy. Um, do you think that will ever change? Uh, if so, what, what do you think could occur or, or will occur um, that would kind of get people to be more serious and, and take more action related to their security, their privacy? Yeah. Um... And this is something that's been frustrated. I mean, it has frustrated me a lot. Like, again, like for me, when the Snowden stuff came out, for me, it was a game changer. I, I, it made me want to do something. And I really expected a lot more reaction to that than there was. Um, so, again, to me, security and privacy are different. So I think from a, from a security standpoint, I think I, I, I tend to think it's not more apathy because I think most people want to be secure. I think that's uncontroversial. Um, but I think with, with cybersecurity in particular, I think people feel maybe uh, overwhelmed mm-hmm. um, or there's just, there's too much. I can't, I, I don't understand this technology. Um, I, I, I don't know what to do. There's the, there seems to be threats on all sides of me. I just, I, so throw my hands up. I, I just, I don't know what to, I can't, I can't do something. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's more like resignation. It's like, I can't sure. do anything. So, you know, why bother? So, uh, you know, I think the, the main thing there is that there really is a lot you can do. There's a lot of low hanging fruit. There's a lot of what I like to call, you know, seatbelts, sunscreen, smoke detector kind of level things, brush your teeth, you know, floss. There's, there's a lot of things in our physical world that we've just learned to do that we need to kind of just do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, I mean, think about, you know, your, the lock on your front door is like what, 15 bucks, 20 bucks, but it's protecting, you know, everything you have. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, so it's not like you even have to spend a lot of money or, or, you know, have something that's foolproof. You don't have to be Fort Knox. Um, I like to tell people, you know, the classic line of, you know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun your friend. Right. (laughs) So, uh, you know, just being a little more secure than the other guy often is enough. And so, you know, I think what I'll tell a lot of people in that case is, you know, don't give up. There's, there's, there are a lot of things you can do now when it comes to privacy though. Yeah. I think, I think there definitely is some apathy out there and there are people that think it's no big deal or, you know, I'm happy to give up some of this privacy in order to get security, which again, I think is a false choice. I think it's really more about liberty versus control, honestly. Um, But without going too far down that road, um, 
you know, I, this is where I get a little more philosophical. So um, one of the, you know, I, Snowden, obviously love him or hate him um, for what he did. He made us aware of a lot of things. So if you just kind of set aside how he did it, um, I think it's important. And there's a quote of his, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Um, I'll just paraphrase if I can't, I had it written down. <laughs> of course I can't find it. But if it's like, oh no, here's, it says, uh, arguing that you don't care about the right to privacy because you have nothing to hide is no different than saying you don't care about free speech because you have nothing to say. Mm -hmm. And I think that really says it well. And so for me, privacy is a capital P word. It's, it's not about me. It's not just about what I feel that I either have to hide. It's really about all of us. I mean, society, democracy, in my estimation, demands some level of privacy. It's a human right. Um, and we act like, you know, back to the panopticon thing, we act differently when we are being watched. If we feel we're being surveilled, uh, we self-regulate. We try to be boring. We don't want to stick out. We don't want to draw attention. Um, and that's not, that's not good. I mean, for a, hum, for a human or just even for society. I mean, uh, uh, I had somebody in my class mentioned the other day that, you know, if, if we had the surveillance we had today back in the, um, you know, back in the 1700s, we would, we would never have been able to uh, fight for our freedom from, from England. I mean, because they would know too, they wouldn't know too much about us. Um, so, yeah, I think that privacy is bigger than each of us, and we need to think of it as such, and we need to understand that it's something that that if we don't kind of all pay attention to it and all kind of band together and realize that it's something we all need, that it's it's easy to lose. And um, yeah, so for I, apathy is a problem, and, and the, the notion of I have nothing to hide, so I'm not going to worry. You know, it's, it's bigger than that. And it's, it's more to it than that. And uh, if I throw out one more thing, go uh, Glenn Greenwald, who is one of the, um, one of the journalists that Edward Snowden approached when he had his, uh, all this data, uh, had a really good Ted talk on privacy. And uh, I would recommend anybody who's still not sure or not convinced that they just go watch that. I think it's a really good, you know, 15 minutes um, that kind of gets to the heart of why privacy really is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so you're helping individuals take more responsibility for their security and their privacy. How about companies? Do you think companies should be working harder to defend people? If so, what should they be doing? For sure. Um, and I think I mean, part of the problem is that, you know, we have no consequences really today. I mean, Equifax, I think one person went to jail for that. And that was because it was an executive who dumped some stock before the, you know, it was more of a stock problem than it was the fact that they, you know, let all that information go. There's, and even software bugs. I mean, again, I'm an engineer. I know software has bugs, but so it's usually not so much that there are bugs. It's how you respond when those bugs are found. Uh, you know, and of course there is just pure negligence. I mean, there are some folks that just don't bother and I think they should be held accountable. So you know, on one sense, I think that we need to start holding some of these companies more accountable when these things happen. And I think, you know, that will hit their bottom line, that will get their shareholders, you know, ticked off and, you know, maybe cause some action that way. Um, but, you know, the other thing I think we need to have them, you know, stop, do, stop blaming the victim. Um, there, are, there are, you know, they always say, well, you should have had a better password or you shouldn't have clicked on that link or whatever. The real way to fix a lot of that stuff is not, is to prevent those things from happening in the first place. And I think there's a lot of things and we're, we're getting there. You know, the email services are trying to catch spam. They're, you know, they're trying to flag, you know, suspicious attachments. Your operating systems are starting to get better. We're, we're getting there. Um, but I think there's a lot more that the tech companies could be doing to, you know, A, prevent people from shooting themselves in the foot. Um, and B, you know, like ransomware. We Certainly we've got to come up with a technical way to, to stop ransomware. Just have a, you know, a running service on the back of your computer that's looking for something that's starting to encrypt a whole bunch of files and stopping it before it goes too far, right? I mean, there, I think there are a lot of things that tech companies could be doing. Um, and if they were, if they had more, you know, if there's more financial incentive for them, you know, AKA regulations and, and penalties, I think we might see some more of that stuff. Um, but the other thing too is, and this is also not going to come without regulation. And I, you know, and I hate to, I know a lot of people, as soon as you say regulation, that just turns people off. You know, there's a lot of, there's half the, half the people out there, as soon as you say regulation, they just turn off. And, but, you know, we have regulations for a reason. I mean, you know, I don't, when I go on a plane, uh, I got this from Bruce Schneier, uh, who's a cybersecurity guru, and he, he was saying, 
you know, when you go on a plane, you don't walk up to the pilot and say, show me your service records, <laughs> you know, and, ex and let me do an inspection of this plane. No, there's, there's somebody else that did that for you. The FAA did that for you. You know, when you go to buy beef at the store or food at the store, you don't bring along your test kit to see if it's got salmonella or, you know, or, or any of those kind of things because you know that somebody else did that for you. That's, that's a regulation. That is, that is something somewhere that someone decided was a good thing to be, have done for you by experts so that you don't have to worry about it. And this is just another one of those things. So, you know, in that sense, I think we need some regulation. And part of those regulations, honestly, if, if, if all they did was mandate more transparency, if, if they just came out and said, you've got to tell people what data you're collecting, what you're doing with it, and where you're selling, who you're selling it to, uh, and if everybody knew what was going on, I think there would be a lot more demand for change. Mm -hmm. So you've witnessed digital security and privacy trends over the last couple of decades. Does that make you optimistic mm -hmm. or pessimistic about the future of personal cybersecurity and online privacy? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, honestly, Honestly, both. I think there's, it's one of those things where it's this cat, you know, cat and mouse kind of a thing where the bad guys keep getting better, but the good guys getting better too. So, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, it's, it's going to be this constant struggle between the light and the dark and, uh, uh, but I think, I, I mean, overall, I think we're definitely making progress. I think, I think in, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, but I am optimistic that it will get better. I think I, it will have to, I mean, we're, we're just going to have to at some point deal with these things at a fundamental, um, architectural level. Uh, and I think those days are coming. And, I, and unfortunately, there probably will need to be some, some bigger incidents uh, again to, to light that fire, but I, it's coming. I, so again, well, I think it probably will get worse before it gets better. I, I have to be optimistic. I, I personally, as a software engineer, think that these problems can be solved. And uh, so uh, I, I think we'll get there. Hmm. So if you, if you keep your crystal ball out and, uh, and now kind of zoom in on artificial intelligence hmm. and how you think that will affect security and privacy. Do you think it's going to be a net positive, a net negative? Uh, how do you, how do you see that playing out? Well, I, again, I, I hate to waffle, but I think it's going to be a little bit of both. Uh, you know, so for instance, I saw some technology uh, that generated literally random news stories based on a simple, like a one sentence prompt and these AI and machine learning systems you know, had ingested a whole bunch of news articles. Um, and it, all you had to do is give it a prompt. And it was obviously something didn't happen. Like, let's say there was a bomb in LA today, mm -hmm. an explosion at LAX. Um, and this software just took that and ran and wrote like a, you know, a 600 word or 800 word article based on this, including quoting people. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it would invent quotes from, you know, maybe someone from the FAA or from the Department of Homeland Security, you know, because they've read, you know, these, these systems have been fed all these articles mm -hmm. that, so they know who the head of the DHS is and, and so they, and they pick out these quotes and make, and it was completely believable, mm -hmm. you know, so in that sense, fake news, you know, I hate to even use the word, but fake news is a real thing and, and it's becoming easier to do so and deep fakes, mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you're familiar with that, the you know, we're, we're taking videos and superimposing other people's faces on other people's bodies to the point where you can't tell. Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't seen, seen these yet, just do some Googling or uh, actually I don't want to recommend Google. Go to DuckDuckGo uh, and search for some videos on deepfakes and um, be careful of the porn ones. But if you look for like, um, what was one of the good ones? It was Jennifer Lawrence uh, accepting like a backstage thing, expecting, uh, talking about accepting an award and they, and they seamlessly put Steve Buscemi's face on her head and it was it's just creepy <laughs> yeah, you know so it's Zuck, i think there's a zuckerberg one there's an obama one there oh yeah are, there are several of them out there yeah photos videos voices yeah yeah it's like photoshopping but now it's video and mm -hmm. uh and it's audio too and there's some there's another technology i was looking at uh, last year where they took a you know a bunch of samples from uh, president obama and president trump and because lord knows they've been recorded doing a lot of saying a lot of different things and they were able to to basically you type in what you want them to say and these things were able to spit out something. It was, you could understand it. You could tell that it was not quite right, but it was kind of eerily close. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so God, you know, you get it, you get this thing over the radio that president Trump says we're under attack or, you know, or, or some of these things that or a deep fake video that looks like, you know, they're incoming missiles to New York city. Um, and you know, you can cause a lot of havoc. And so, yeah. So in that sense, I think that, it, you know, the AI and the ML 
uh, machine learning stuff is dangerous. But on the, on the flip side, you can also take those exact same tools and use them to try to expose deep fakes and to expose mm -hmm. these, uh, these, other, these other kind of fakes and the fake articles or whatever. And so, you know, if, if we get to the point where these systems are automated enough to do a better job at catching viruses or do a better job stopping the ransomware that's creeping into your system or uh, you know, stopping spam and, and scam emails, I think, again, it's just, these are just tools that could use for good or evil. And I think we'll see both. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's kind of the same with any kind of technology. Yeah. You see often it's the bad guys who are kind of pushing uh, the cutting edge. Um, but you know, the good guys are not often far behind and, and sometimes they are the pioneers. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just kind of like you said, that cat and mouse game um, and the technology, it, it can be used by either side. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, where the, where the resources are and, and kind of who's, who's pushing the envelope. Yep. So your, your book is a great resource. Um, you also provide a lot of info through your website, through your podcast. Um, what other ways uh, do you recommend that people stay informed of cybersecurity issues, privacy issues, uh, any particular sources that you recommend other than uh, your own? <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's a really good question. That's, and uh, because, uh, you know, part of the reason I did what I did is I didn't really feel like there were good resources for uh, you know, the kind of the average everyday person, which is, you know, 99% of the populace. Um, so, you know, so the, one of the, some of the ones I've found that I think are, uh, are good for the average Joe, uh, the regular everyday person is uh, like the Naked Security blog uh, by mm -hmm. Sophos. Uh, they have a really good blog. They put out some really good articles and they're written in a way that, you know, pretty much anybody can digest and they're very timely. Uh, they've always got some really good info and stuff going on right now that you might want to take some action on. So that's always, a, that's what I recommend. Uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation does a lot of really good work and they're putting out um, a lot of articles as well uh, that are also very good. And they, they also get into, because they're, they're kind of like the, I don't know, maybe the ACLU of the technical <laughs> aspect. They, they do a lot of fighting for rights. So you will see a lot of that kind of stuff as well. But they do have you know, certain segments of the website that you can kind of tune into if you want to kind of you know, stay clear. The political, maybe the more political or policy kind of stuff and focus more on the technology stuff. They've got some great resources as well. Yeah, they have like their, uh, their self-defense uh, section yep. and, and some of those, yep. Yep, surveillance self-defense and some other mm -hmm. self-defense items. They've got some really good articles there. So that's a, that, I always find that to be a good resource. Um, Let's see, uh, there's a really cool site. Uh, if you really want to kick it up a notch and want to get super, you know, I don't want to say paranoid because these things do happen. Yeah. But if you really want to lock yourself down, there's a uh, place called privacytools.io. Mm -hmm. uh, and this guy's been doing a lot of great work and he's got some good articles. You can actually kind of read why these things are important. And then uh, he, I, I think it's a he, I don't know, I guess, uh, recommends a lot of really good um, tools that are both secure and privacy respecting that you could look at if you really want to kind of kick it up a notch. Uh, they've got some good stuff too. Um, DuckDuckGo, uh, they're, they're a privacy oriented search engine. So they're kind of like a replacement for Google that I highly recommend. They've also got a blog called Spread Privacy and they've got some really good guides there too for, uh, for, for your privacy. They're very well written. They've got a lot of good uh, steps and pictures and links to other stuff. So that I, you know, if I had to pick some off kind of off the top of my head, uh, I think those would be some good resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I should have mentioned when I was mentioning your book and website and podcast. Um, so you make them all easy to find because they all share the the name firewalls don't stop dragons. <laughs> so if you look for that, that's the title of the book. That's the name of the website. That is the title of the podcast. Um, so it's kind of a, a all, all under that, that yeah. uh, moniker. Yep. Uh, so this is off topic, but uh, so your book uses the castle analogy. I mean, you have mm -hmm. the, the dragons, you talk about drawbridges, you talk about walls. Um, and you mentioned in the book that you're a fan of fantasy literature. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was wondering, what are your favorite works? Mm, oh, I could probably talk a long time about <laughs> this one. Um, I've always really been a sword and sorcery kind of guy. I mean, I, I did read some sci-fi, like, you know, I love me some Isaac Asimov um, when mm. I was a kid. But yeah, I, I, uh, when I was in middle school, a buddy of mine turned me on to Piers Anthony uh, and it was a Xanth series, X-A-N-T-H. Uh, and, and even though they kind of look like kids books, they're really actually not kids books, but I started reading those at the time. And I think that may have what really kind of that and Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was, I played that in middle school too. Um, 
really kind of got me into so you know so maybe my so my first ones were probably like Pierce Anthony but as you know as I grew up I really liked the Terry Brooks stuff he's got a ton of books the Shannara series mm-hmm. uh, I really like those David Eddings has some great books um, Terry Goodkind I tried you know so Terry Goodkind did the Sort of Truth series and Robert Jordan did the Wheel of Time series and I mm-hmm. these were epic saga novels that went yep. on and on and on and <laughs> and at some point I caught up to where they had stopped writing and mm-hmm. and and then one of them died. <laughs> So I kind of got burned on that. And I, you know, I kind of told myself I wasn't going to get into any more of these big, you know, series until they're done. Hmm. I blew it again though. Cause I went with game of Thrones and I read yeah. the books and they were great. And of course he stopped writing. I don't know what happened there. Right. HBO finished it off for him. Um, <laughs> Harry Potter, you know, that love, love Harry Potter. It's a very magical series. You know, it's a, no, it's young adult or whatever, but I, that's good. And then, you know, maybe one other kind of different Jim butcher. He hmm. writes the series um, about this, uh, detective in chicago who's actually a wizard hmm. uh and so kind of like a wizard in modern day life and it, i thought i found those a lot of fun they're not deep but they're a lot of fun yeah yeah nice How yeah, about you? I, I got like what do you like <laughs> yeah so uh i am huge into middle earth so mm-hmm. Tolkien, oh, yeah. um so hobbit lord of the rings silmarillion unfinished tales kind of um you know multiples of his and you know regularly reread those re-listen to them yeah. um so those, those that'd be kind of the the core or the mainstay but um others so yeah I've, I've gone through not the entire wheel of time but um I, i've kind of made uh made my way through several of those um the mistborn series oh yeah like those Sanderson. two yeah those were good that was different yeah yep uh I, yeah, yeah i didn't even Potter. go to tolkien because it's just so cliche but yeah oh, absolutely <laughs> you got that's just a given yeah um, yeah, Harry Potter have uh, have gone through, like you said, you know, uh, kind of a younger audience, but but uh, still good. Um, Chronicles of Narnia, same thing, kind of younger audience, but uh, still still stuff there that that adults can enjoy. Um, the High House um, by James Stoddard. Uh, someone mm. recommended that to me, and and that was uh, some some interesting fantasy. Um, but uh, yeah, and then some of the others that that you've mentioned as well. Um, so yeah, it's uh, always good to be exploring in uh, in that area. Oh yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you have any other warnings, advice, encouragement, anything else that we could share uh, before we conclude? Yeah, and, and I always tell my classes too. It's a it's like a six week class, and I've and I, and I as I've taught it over and over, I've I've learned that when when I'm done, people just like they're like they're shaking their heads and they're walking out like downtrodden. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not, that was not what I was trying to tell you. You know, it's don't give up. It's, you know, there's, it's, you know, I tell them it's kind of like sex ed, like you're going through sex ed. And when you go to sex ed, they tell you all the bad stuff. They they tell you how everything can go horribly wrong. But I mean, you know, it doesn't stop you from having sex. Yeah, that's good stuff. Right. I mean, so it's, so it's one of those things where, you know, don't turn off the internet. Don't throw out your computers. There's, you know, there's a lot of really simple, you know, simple things we can all be doing, which is like, again, kind of the whole point of the book. And, you know, so main thing, you know, don't panic. Classic Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, don't, don't panic. Don't give up. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot you could do that, that'll, that'll make you safer. And the other thing that, that I kind of like to drive home is it's really important that we all do it um, because it's kind of like a herd immunity thing. So mm-hmm. the more of us do these things, if, even if not everybody's protected, if you can get enough people protected, then these things don't propagate, you know, just like viruses in the real world. If you get it, if you get an immunity enough in the herd, there might be some weak ones in the herd, but there's not enough, there's not enough animals in the herd to, you know, to spread it, mm-hmm. you know? So you know, I always like to tell people to, you know, to help your, help your friends, help your family, spread the word, um, and get them, you know, kind of get them all up to a baseline level and, and, and it will help, it'll help all of us. Um, the other thing I like to tell people uh, kind of as a general rule of thumb is, you know, for, you know, for, for a market economy, a lot of people like to talk about the invisible hand of the market and market forces. And, you know, if you believe in that, and if you're a capitalist and you believe in the market economy, well then, you know, the only way a market economy works is with uh, an informed consumer, you know, so learn about the products that you're buying, you know, spend money on the things that are, have been shown to be good and avoid the ones that don't, um, you know, use your pocketbook to vote. And, and when you do see these products, and they are coming up, there's there's a lot of them coming out now that are, that are very privacy respecting and and, mm-hmm. and security, and they're higher security, and they cost more money because it takes more money to do these things and to do it right. Spend money on them. I mean, actually, you know, support these efforts, even if these particular products don't eventually catch on. You are kind of saying, hey, this is important enough for me to spend money on, and and other people will take notice, and other people will start investing in those things too. So if if we show that we're willing to put our money where our mouths are. Um, you know, it, it will help everybody. Uh, and 
Similarly, uh, for a, you know, a democracy to work, it needs an informed electorate. So also stay abreast of policy stuff, go to those town halls, you know, maybe just listen the first time, but you know, you know, put your representatives local, including local, and a lot of stuff being done at the city level. Um, you know, San Francisco or uh, San Francisco or Oakland just recently banned facial recognition technology by, by law enforcement until they can mm -hmm. kind of, you know, put a moratorium on it until they can kind of figure out what the implications are, which I think is a good plan. Um, you know, so even just the local level, there's a lot of things that you could be paying attention to um, and get out there and, you know, and kind of get involved and make your voices heard. At, you know, so I think as a general, you know, other advice that I would give people, again, kind of think beyond yourself. Think that this is, this is about all of us. And mm -hmm. so we all kind of have to participate. Yeah. So Carrie, for people who want to learn more about you, uh, where would you recommend that they go to find you online? Well, as you said, uh, everything's, everything's under one name at this point. It's my brand at this point. So firewallsdontstopdragons.com. Uh, if you go there, you can find everything about me at that point. You have my, you have my blog that I put out uh, like twice a week, and that also is my newsletter pretty much. So you can either have it shipped to you or you can go read it. Uh, if you sign up for the newsletter, but you can kind of get the back issues if you look at the blogs because they, they pretty much go hand in hand. Uh, so you can get a lot of information there. And I try to maintain some extra resources there, including you know, other books, other websites, uh, that you might want to look at. So that's kind of a I try to maintain it as a resource. So there's other stuff even beyond my stuff there that you might want to check out. Uh, and it, you know, the other, I really don't do, I, I certainly don't do Facebook anymore. I got off of that a long time ago, but I still, still do Twitter. Unfortunately, I think there's problems with it, but uh, it's kind of the only game in town when you want to do these kind of uh, these last minute or kind of up to the minute urgent thing. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at, uh, at firewall dragons on Twitter. Uh, I, I tweet, kind of more daily there and stuff that I think is important. So if you want to kind of be more up to date, maybe try me there. That's, that's pretty much it. Of course, the podcast, you can get to that from the, uh, from the website as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll include, in, I'll include links to uh, all of this uh, in the show notes that'll go along with this uh, episode as well. So again, I'm joined by Carrie Parker, author of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, a step-by-step -step guide to computer security for non-techies. And I did previously review that book. You can find it uh, in a previous episode. And then I've also posted that on the website. Uh, I'm Chad Warner of Defending Digital, teaching you to defend your digital life. Carrie, thank you for sharing your knowledge with us today. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on. That was, by the way, a great review. I very much appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Sure. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope you found that interview interesting and informational. You can find this post at defendingdigital.com, uh, as well as my review of the book. You can also find other cybersecurity and privacy books uh, on the resources page at defendingdigital.com, as well as links on where to follow Carrie Parker and Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. What should you do? Step one, buy your own copy of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, a step-by-step -step guide to computer security for non-techies, and I have a link in the blog post that goes along with this episode. Two, as you read the book, take the time to follow its advice to increase your digital security and privacy, and help your kids do the same. You'll find some of the following points within the book. Three, regularly back up your files. Four, keep your computer and phone software updated. Five, use strong, unique passwords. The best way to do this is with a password manager. Six, turn on two-factor authentication when possible. Seven, don't open attachments or links that you're not expecting. If you didn't ask for it, don't trust it. Eight, teach your kids, and remember for yourself, that anything you put online could last forever and be seen by anyone. Nine, stay involved in what your kids do online. Ten, consider keeping your kids' devices in common rooms in the house and disallowing them to be taken into bedrooms. 11. Plan for what will happen to your accounts, files, and other digital assets after you die. A password manager can make it easier to grant access. And 12. Consider using parental controls. That's all for today. You can learn more about internet security and online privacy at defendingdigital.com. If you've been enjoying the podcast, I would love it if you would share it with someone else who's interested in internet security and privacy. And if you could leave a rating and review, I would appreciate that as well. Thanks.